0: Hello and welcome to Amazing Tales from off and on Connecticut's beaten path. I'm Mike Allen, here with another story about historically significant people, places and events from Connecticut's long and fabled past. Today on Amazing Tales, the first of a two-part series on nuclear missiles in Connecticut. In other words, the impact of the Cold War on Connecticut. There was a time in our history when school children used to hide under their desks to protect them from a nuclear attack by Russia. The fear was about incoming missiles. What few people knew was that there were nuclear missiles stationed right here inside Connecticut for well over a decade. To understand the impact on Connecticut in part one, we're gonna take a look at the big picture across the entire United States and how we were protecting ourselves against nuclear war. remember the drills. Maybe you do too. Depends on how old you are. The teacher would tell us that we had just received word that an incoming missile from Russia, they called it the Soviet Union in those days, was headed our way. We needed to crawl under our desks and put our hands over our heads, curled up like a ball. We'd have to stay there for five or ten minutes or so before the all-clear would be given. We would then resume our studies." I was in elementary school, and I also still remember walking home from school on those days. I'd look up in the sky and wonder what an incoming missile might look like when I see one before the authorities turned on the air raid sirens. My family lived in a suburb of New York City in Fairfield County, where we were told that we'd be in the mushroom cloud zone when the nuclear bomb hit New York City. We were told that we needed to take that quite seriously. After all, back then, it had just been about 15 years or so when the U.S. had ushered in the nuclear age. We had dropped not one, but two atomic bombs on Japan. We were attempting to force their surrender during World War II, and as fate would have it, that strategy worked. But the statistics were frightening. On August 6, 1945, a B-29 bomber made by the Boeing Company dropped a bomb that actually had a name— it was called Little Baby. The bomb was dropped on the city of Hiroshima, Japan. It would kill 140,000 people, 80,000 instantly, another 60,000 in the weeks after from radiation poisoning. The name of the B-29 was Enola Gay. It was named after a woman, Enola Gay Tibbets. It was her son, Colonel Paul Tibbets, who piloted the B-29 that day. Well, Japan didn't immediately surrender, and so President Harry S. Truman ordered a second strike just three days later, on August 9, 1945. This time, the bomb was named Fat Boy, and it was dropped on the city of Nagasaki, Japan. This resulted in 40,000 instantaneous deaths, and another 35,000 dying in the ensuing weeks. Japan surrendered. Welcome to the nuclear age. Scientists scurried to build bigger and more potent bombs. The so-called A-bomb, the atomic bomb used in Japan, provided 15 megatons of blast capacity. It wasn't long before the hydrogen bomb was created, and instead of just 15 megatons, it was capable of providing a blast yield of 10,000 megatons. By 1949, the Soviet Union had entered the arms race by setting off its first atomic bomb, Welcome to the era of assured nuclear annihilation. My country will build many nuclear weapons and aim them at your country. They'll be programmed to go off should your nuclear weapons ever come into my country. Therefore, we'll end up blowing up each other, not to mention the rest of the planet, assuring there are no winners. Perfect strategy, right? What could go wrong? This started the so-called Cold War, a period of several decades when only the U.S. and Russia had access to the unique technology needed to build such weapons, and each country was building them at a feverish pace, trying to get an advantage over the other. During this time, the U.S. took extraordinary steps to protect the homeland against nuclear attack. Some of these programs are no longer active, but others are very much still in place. Before we get into the location of the nuclear weapons in Connecticut, we're going to take a look at some of the other operations that were happening across the country. The granddaddy of all nuclear bunkers in the United States was NORAD, the North American Radar Air Defense Complex. It's located inside Cheyenne Mountain in beautiful Colorado Springs, Colorado. If you've ever been there, when you look west at the Rocky Mountains from Colorado Springs, you'll see the stunningly majestic and beautiful Pikes Peak. Well, here's a quick fun fact. The song, America the Beautiful, the one that goes, Oh, beautiful for gracious skies for amber waves of grain. Well, it was written by a woman while she rode the Cog Railroad train up the 14,000 feet of Pikes Peak. She stared out over the massive Great Plains from her elevated location and was overwhelmed by the beauty. I've been up Pikes Peak four times, twice by train, once by car, and once by foot, and I can vouch for that beauty. Well, anyway, as you see Pikes Peak from the streets of Colorado Springs, you just have to look left a little bit down the peaks of the Rocky Mountain Range. You can't miss it. You'll see one mountain with a lot of antennae sticking out of the top, and that is Cheyenne Mountain. Inside Cheyenne Mountain is a city carved out of granite, The military literally drilled inside the mountain in the 1940s. They tunneled in one mile and then carved out five acres of granite. Then they reinforced the inside granite walls with steel two feet thick. The mountain is so structurally solid that it would withstand a 30-megaton bomb striking the side of Cheyenne Mountain with the structures inside just shaking a little bit. Those inside structures actually make up a mini-city, there are 15 buildings, each of them two to three stories tall. They're built on a platform which itself is supported by 1,300 giant springs. If those bombs ever hit, the city would just sort of rock on this springed platform and not be further damaged, and certainly not suffer cracks and collateral damage like a normal house would from shaking so much. Also inside the mountain are five lakes used for drinking water as well as for power generation. The mini-city has a functioning economy of sorts with barbershops, restaurants, and the like. The mini-city was home to thousands of military troops for many years. Their main mission? Monitor the U.S. and Canadian airspace to ensure that no nuclear missiles were headed our way. And if they were, a special communication system was in place to allow immediate communication with the president to determine if a counterstrike should be authorized. The site managed 6,700 pieces of surveillance data every hour. That's two bits of data every second. Again, what could go wrong? Well, in both 1979 and 1980, computer chips went haywire, and it signaled to human overseers that missiles had been launched. In both cases, it took a Herculean effort to sort through the communications datum and ascertain that there was no imminent threat. Otherwise, who knows, you might not be listening to this episode right now. NORAD has been decommissioned as an active site for missile surveillance. That responsibility now belongs to nearby Peterson Air Force Base. About 350 enlisted soldiers still staff NORAD, a fraction of its earlier total, but they mainly facilitate training programs. You used to be able to get a tour inside NORAD, but the 9-11 attacks changed all that. Now the site is best known for its Christmas Eve program of tracking Santa's sleigh and showing the track to children around the globe in real time on your computer monitor. Well, before you think I'm giving away the government's top secrets about these sites, all of what you'll hear in this podcast is publicly available information, There are no deep secrets, even though it may seem like it if you're hearing about it for the first time. When it comes to protection, the main institutions that the government seeks to keep safe are senior elected officials, our political system, the military and its top private contractors so we can fight the enemy and protect our people even after the attack, and the Federal Reserve Bank's deposits so we'll have money to restart the economy after a nuclear attack. There are a few other notable bunkers that have been decommissioned along with NORAD, and everybody's favorite seems to be the Greenbrier Luxury Hotel, also known as America's Resorts. This grand hotel, one of the true luxury stops in the world, is located in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, tucked between two valleys in the Allegheny Mountains. It's been in business serving customers since 1778, when the well healed in society would travel there to take in the calming and healing hot spring waters over the years it grew significantly with an exceptionally large facility being constructed on the grounds well back in the 1950s the government approached the greenbrier with a special request it wanted to build a secret underground relocation chamber It would be large enough to house both the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate, 535 elected officials, plus their family members and key staff. This facility was built, complete with large meeting chambers to conduct legislative business after a nuclear attack. Never mind that it's a a four-and-a-half-hour drive from the U.S. Capitol to White Sulphur Springs, this was a key solution for a huge problem— The facility was the size of two football fields, and building something of that size anywhere closer to Washington, D.C. would have attracted way too much attention. The secret was kept until the early 1990s, when a media story spilled the beans and forced new arrangements to be made. Now, those new arrangements will not be discussed on this podcast. Today, you can get a tour of the Greenbrier facility for just 40 bucks. Another decommissioned facility is the Mount Pony Bunker in Culpeper, Virginia. That's where the Federal Reserve Bank used to keep a billion dollars in cash stashed in a complex built into a hillside. It's now been converted into the National Audiovisual Conservation Center. It's where the Library of Congress stores all of its audiovisual archives. In fact, these creative reuses for old bunkers have been underway for several decades just as you've probably heard about people buying former underground missile silos for their private homes as protection against civil war or other emergencies, organizations seek out these former bunkers as well. They are exceptionally well-built and offer climate-controlled underground storage conditions. In fact, one such example is a little closer to home in Hadley, Massachusetts, just about 16 miles from the Connecticut border. It's a former underground military bunker that now serves as the overflow storage container for the Amherst College Library, but from 1958 to 1970, the Notch, as it was called, was part of the Strategic Air Command's post-attack command and control system. It was serving as the base for the squadron located at nearby Westover Air Force Base. Now, to finish up this review, we should tell you about two active military locations in the country. The first is known as Mount Weather. It's in the Blue Ridge Mountains in Bluemont, Virginia. For the record, the government acknowledges its role as a command center for FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Its dual role as a top-secret underground military facility has not been confirmed, but it has been widely reported. Its very existence came into light after an airplane crash during a violent storm back in 1974. A TWA plane crashed near the facility and severed an underground link to the emergency broadcast system. Across the country, EBS teletype machines and newsrooms started going haywire, hardly the circumstances for keeping something secret. Separately, on 9-11, A woman who lives in the very sparsely populated town where Mount Weather is located called police after she saw a huge airplane fly into the mountain. She said it was Air Force One and she knows it. She claims the mountain opened up, let the plane fly in, and then closed up again. The 911 operator said, yes ma'am. The second active facility is known as Site R. R stands for Raven Rock Mountain. It's located in Liberty Township, Pennsylvania. Site R is very close to the border with Maryland. In fact, as the crow flies, Site R is only six miles from the presidential retreat at Camp David in Maryland. It's been widely reported that this was the secret location where Vice President Dick Cheney went after the 9-11 attacks. That's it for this episode of Amazing Tales from off and on Connecticut's beaten path. Keep an eye out for part two of this two-part series on the nuclear missiles in Connecticut. In part two, we'll focus on where those missiles were hidden inside the state of Connecticut. Please follow me at my main podcast website, amazingtalesct.podbean.com. And also in between episodes, you can check out my pages on Facebook, at Amazing Tales CT, where I place photos supplementing my podcasts. Plus, I'd love to hear from you. And please send me an idea of a story that you'd like me to look into. If you liked what you heard, spread the word with your family and friends. See you next time here on Amazing Tales from off and on Connecticut's beaten path. I'm Mike Allen. Be safe and stay healthy.